Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 310. And uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about the Falcons surprisingly dominating the Raiders. And is that really what happened? We'll talk about that. There's some interesting insight I have as to what really happened in that game. We'll talk about the Broncos quarterback nightmare. We're going to talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Um, Insert deep sigh. Just, ugh, really? We got to talk about Trubisky again. And, oh, is it not pretty? (laughs) Ha ha! We're going to talk about the nearly deadly crash in Formula One. It was, uh, I, look, if you haven't watched the, you, look, you're an NFL fan. You're an American sports fan. Fine, right? You don't give a single anything about Formula One. I understand. Most people that listen to this show only are here to hear me talk about football. I understand that. Uh, even if you're one of those people, if you don't care about Formula One at all, I recommend look up the crash. Uh, look up Bahrain, Roman Grosjean crash. It's uh, B-A-H, Bahrain, Romain, like Romain lettuce, and then Gross Jean. So you spell Grosjean. Um, I believe he's French. Look up that crash. It's horrifying. It is, uh, it, it, you go, it, it's more, it's, he, he lived through the crash, but it's really alarming. So if you, if, even if you don't care about Formula One, look up the Roman Grosjean crash. Um, pretty crazy. It really just, you're like, he walked away from that? I mean, it's, it's amazing that he did. And I, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Let's start today by talking about uh, the NFL. The Falcons beat the Raiders 43-6 to on Sunday. And uh, it was shocking. I, I really, uh, I did not give the Falcons a single prayer to win this game. They did, uh, and now I, I walk away. Um, you know, I don't. I guess I don't walk away feeling like, wow, the Falcons are this amazing football team. They beat the Raiders. The Falcons dominated the Raiders because that's not exactly what happened. Um, the story from this game is that the Raiders were awful. I mean, they were just completely, completely terrible. And I'm not exaggerating. It's one of the worst team performances I've seen maybe ever, but definitely this year. It's it's in the conversation for the worst team game, any, uh, worst game a single team has played all year. So many mistakes were made. There's this crazy long list of mistakes the Raiders made. Um, and straight up, it's going to be hard to even list everything the Raiders did wrong in this game. And so after I, I like dump a massive list onto you guys, I'm going to try to go through bit by bit, every little thing that went wrong, even after that list is given to you, still assume I left stuff out because it's kind of amazing how much the Raiders screwed up in this game. I cannot believe it. Uh, It's an overwhelmingly large amount of mistakes the Raiders made. Uh, But first, I also want to give uh, Atlanta some shine. I I really, I don't want to just say it was all the Raiders being terrible because the Falcons did make some good plays. Uh, They fought really hard. I mean, I was really, I walked away very impressed with their defense, actually. And in my opinion, there's a story developing in Atlanta right now where Raheem Morris is the Falcons' interim head coach. And the more that the Falcons win with Raheem Morris as their coach, the more likely it is they keep him as their coach long-term after this year. And if things keep going well, I would actually find myself supporting that. I think that what we've seen from Atlanta, it's not... Atlanta's problem wasn't, I mean, they have a good quarterback. They have some decent talent. The problem was the culture in Atlanta and and really the way that they just fell apart when they had a lead in a game. 
And we also got to consider that I think bringing in a coach to be the next coach of the Falcons is harder than people realize they have. First of all, you're dealing with COVID. Anytime you deal with COVID, I think it's going to be, we might even be in 2021 next year still dealing with COVID. Certainly the off season is going to be marred by dealing with COVID and restrictions and not being able to meet people face-to-face, that kind of thing. Um, but also, I don't think that the Falcons job is quite as attractive as people might think. Uh, they have a great, uh, they got a $100 million stadium. Woo, that's awesome. Um, but they, I mean, they have a culture of blowing leads. They have an aging quarterback. Um, I think the one benefit they have is their owner appears to be very, very patient. But I, I got to say, Raheem, Most, uh, Raheem Morris, have I said Mostert? Raheem Mostert's the running back. Uh, in the NFL. Raheem Morris is the interim head coach of the Falcons. Uh, he's been there since 2015. And he's been there through everything. The Super Bowl loss, the blown leads. Uh, and honestly, I, I'm pretty sure that throughout the entire time Raheem Morris has been in Atlanta, he's been sitting there thinking to himself, man, there's a lot of stuff I want to say and a lot of stuff I want to do that I cannot do because I'm not the head coach. It's not appropriate for me to speak up and say this thing or do this thing. And so, look, I think the Falcons are probably better off with Raheem Morris as their coach. Certainly right now they are. They're 4-2 and two with him. Uh, but let's just see how the year goes. There's no hurry to make a decision whether or not Raheem Morris should be the coach long-term or not. But I want to lay that foundation now. It looks like Raheem Morris might actually be the guy long-term in Atlanta, at least for next year. A lot of, a lot of teams have been talking about this, how it's going to be hard to hire a new coach. There's a lot of problems with COVID. Some people want to just get through COVID. And if nothing else, Raheem Morris might still be the coach next year in Atlanta. And I, right now, the way they've been playing under him, the attitude, the way they've been fighting, uh, the culture that appears to be developing under Raheem Morris, I don't know that that would be a bad thing. I think Raheem Morris has done a very, very good job in the six games he's been the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Now, the Raiders. um, Oh, my gosh. The Raiders were astronomically bad against the Atlanta Falcons. It's kind of unbelievable. Uh, the Raiders had five turnovers. Derek Carr had an interception, was returned for a pick six. Uh, that gave Atlanta a 23-3 to lead. So the pick six was really bad. Derek Carr also had not one, not two, but three fumbles, all lost. Uh, that's terrible. Uh, the Raiders running back had a fumble. Josh Jacobs had a rare, uh, he doesn't fumble a lot. He had a fumble, that's a big deal, fighting for extra yards. So five Raiders drives were ruined by turnovers. Uh, two more drives were ruined by penalties where uh, there was one penalty where Josh Jacobs got called for lowering his helmet to initiate contact. That's a 15-yard penalty. That cost the Raiders a first down. There was another situation where, you know, later on another drive, Henry Ruggs, the rookie receiver, very talented, kind of been waiting for him to pop this year. He had this awesome contested catch on like a fourth and three down the right sideline, had this great catch with a defender right next to him. And it gave the Raiders first and goal. And I went, oh, let's go. I'm so excited. Henry Ruggs making a play. And the Raiders found themselves second and goal from the three-yard line. And from that moment on, everything went wrong. It was kind of unbelievable. They had uh, back-to-back penalties. They had a holding call and then an illegal use of the hands call penalty. That led to second and goal from the 23-yard line. Like, oh, my. It's awful. It's terrible. And in the end, the Raiders had to settle for a field goal. They had second and goal from the three-yard line and ended up settling for a field goal because of penalties backing them up farther and farther. 
And then to some degree, I felt really bad for the Raiders defense. I mean, they just got put in bad situation after bad situation yesterday where, oh my gosh, um, you know, here, here's some of the Falcons' starting field position from this game. The Raiders got stopped on fourth and one. That gave Atlanta the ball on the 45-yard line going in. Good field position. You're almost in field goal range already. A fumble gave Atlanta the ball on the 21-yard line going in. Atlanta also had drives starting on the 27-yard line going in and the 35-yard line going in. The Falcons kept starting drives basically already in field goal range. I mean, that cannot happen. You cannot repeatedly hand your opponent great field position over and over and over again. You can't have that many turnovers. You can't have that many bad... So many things are wrong for the Raiders. You can't have that many things go wrong and expect to be competitive, let alone win a game. And since we're talking about field position, when Derek Carr threw his pick six, it was really infuriating because it came right after the Falcons had one of their punts partially blocked. I mean, the the Raiders had the ball first and 10 on the 36-yard line going in. Just handed, amazing field position. And Derek Carr threw a pick six. I mean, it's it's terrible. And so you might ask, what happened in this game? I I was sitting at home. I looked at the final score. I went, what in the world? How did the Falcons win 43-6? to How does that happen? And it wasn't like the Atlanta Falcons were suddenly this amazing team. They had a punt partially blocked. They had, they missed a field goal. They dropped a touchdown. Here's a great example. Even when the Falcons missed a field goal, it's fourth and 16. Atlanta is kicking a field goal. They miss. But the Raiders ran into the kicker. And the the roughing the kicker penalty gave the Falcons an automatic first down. That led to a touchdown. It's, It's crazy. It's ridiculous. The Raiders had 11 penalties that cost them 100, 141 total yards. You, you cannot give up that many penalty yards because these were big, costly penalties. And the Raiders just had this comically bad performance on Sunday. Mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, credit Atlanta, right? They won the game. Anytime you win a game in the NFL, it's a big deal. Congratulations. Good job. But man, the Raiders handed this game to Atlanta and then just said, you know what? We'll just lay down. You can have everything. Fumbles turnovers, penalties, endless mistakes, and endless missed opportunities. It's kind of unbelievable. I mean, you had second and goal from the three-yard line, penalty, penalty, second and goal from the 23 now? What the hell? How does it happen? It's just so many things went wrong. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving stuff out. Uh, But the Raiders had one of the worst, if not the worst, and actually probably the worst. This was probably the worst team performance I've seen all year in the NFL uh, let's end on a positive note because I I, I just r- kind of yelled at everybody about how, oh my gosh, things went wrong over and over and over again for the Raiders. Um, kind of the fun, weird factoid from this game. Guess who came in the game at the very end to kneel for the Atlanta Falcons? You know, take a snap, just kneel the ball, victory formation. Matt Schaub. Remember Matt Schaub, the former, I guess he started as, he was Michael Vick's backup actually in Atlanta. Then he went to the Houston Texans for a couple years in Houston. He had Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator calling plays. And for a couple of years, Matt Schaub did really, really well. And then he fell off the face of the earth. And guess what? I had no idea I missed this somehow. Apparently, Matt Schaub is still in the NFL. He's 39 years old. He's the backup for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, it's just kind of weird and interesting. It's a weird factoid. I guess apparently Matt Schaub is still in 
the NFL. I, I had no idea. Kind of cool. Uh, and I enjoyed that. Okay, uh, I don't feel the need to take a break. Let's just keep going. We're going to talk about the Broncos and the Saints. Uh, the Saints beat the Broncos in one of the ugliest and weirdest games I have ever seen in the NFL. The Saints won 31-3. to And the Broncos quarterback situation for this game... Oh, boy. It may be... This might be one of the most bizarre NFL stories I've ever seen in my brief lifetime. Um, so, first of all, one of the Denver Broncos quarterbacks, Jeff Driscoll, tested positive for COVID. And then it came to light that apparently the Broncos quarterback room had not been properly following all of the NFL's COVID protocols. And so, due to contact tracing and caution, on Saturday, the day before the game, the Broncos found out Hey, uh, all four of your quarterbacks cannot play in tomorrow's game. They all are too close to someone who had COVID. None of them can play. And you're like, wait, what? Hold on. The Broncos don't have a single quarterback for this game. And so Denver was put in this impossible situation saying, hey, the day before the game, you just got to figure it out. Find a way to make it happen. And people keep asking me, like, and, and asking the question just in general, why did the NFL not cancel this game? And there's a couple factors, I think, that led down to this happening. Uh, number one, the NFL desperately does not want to cancel games at any cost, at all. Uh, for example, the Steelers-Ravens game has been moved so many times. Uh, it was on, it was supposed to take place last Thursday. It got moved to Monday, then Tuesday. Now it just got reported the game got moved to Wednesday. So six days after the game was supposed to take place, they're playing that game again. And counting it as the same week, it's, it's just bizarre. I've never seen a Wednesday game in my entire life. Uh, the NFL desperately does not want to cancel games, especially if they can find a reason not to. They just do not want to do it. Uh, also, because Denver broke protocol, the NFL's COVID protocols, it appears like the NFL wanted to use Denver as an example and kind of a warning to other teams, hey, follow our protocol or else you're going to get punished and find yourself in a really bad, impossible situation. That is why the Denver Broncos found themselves playing a game with not a single quarterback on the roster. It's kind of, it, well, it, is, it is unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and this is why I believe the Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, has been really, really loose this year. Like, he, I think he's kind of let go of any desire to win a Super Bowl. He's clearly trying to win games. They're fighting hard. But I don't think Bill Belichick is going, we're going to win a Super Bowl this year. I think he's just kind of accepted that the NFL in 2020 is a mess. I mean, there's nothing that's dependable. If you're a coach... So many things are out of your control. Imagine a, a meeting that you would think it's our quarterback room. They're going to take precaution. They're going to follow the rules and do things right. And I mean, imagine the day before the Super Bowl that you find out all four of your quarterbacks. Let's say the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Every single quarterback on their roster, Patrick Mahomes all the way down. They're like, hey, it's Saturday. The game is on Sunday. Oh, yeah, by the way, every single one of your quarterbacks has COVID. They cannot play. The game is going on ahead anyway. It's a... The whole thing feels futile if you're an NFL coach trying to do the best you can. So a guy like Bill Belichick, who most coaches have to win, the pressure's on, they can't get away with just trying to skate by. I mean, coaches are fighting. People are getting fired. Coaches are fighting hard to keep their jobs and stay alive in the NFL. But a coach like Bill Belichick, who's won six Super Bowls, doesn't care. He's like, I'm safe. I'm going to wait till COVID's gone, then turn the gears back and really try hard again. I, I just get this appearance and this feeling that Bill Belichick must realize it's, it's just futile. You can't, there's too many things out of your control. And the Denver Broncos got massively screwed here 
But I also, I understand the NFL said, you can't break protocol. We're going to punish you for this. Now, the Broncos, again, they had no quarterback the day before the game. They're like, we don't know who to, what, what to do. And so the guy who kind of sort of played quarterback for Denver was a guy named Kendall Hinton. Uh, he's a practice squad wide receiver. He did actually play quarterback in college. He was the backup at Wake Forest. He's a very good athlete. Um, not a very good quarterback, although I don't think that's even fair because I, I just felt bad for Kendall Hinton. It, I'm gonna, I have a line later that kind of sums up how Kendall Hinton did, but the poor guy was put in an impossible situation. He's not even a quarterback anymore. You have one day notice. There's no way to really prepare. Like sometimes you look at a guy who they get their first opportunity in the NFL and you're like, well, the guy wasn't prepared for his moment. How could Kendall Hinton have possibly prepared for this moment? He had no idea. One day notice, you're not even playing quarterback anymore. You're a receiver now. It's a, I just feel bad for Kendall Hinton, honestly. Uh, he was one for nine passing at 13 yards uh, with two interceptions. His one completion was on a dinky little screen pass. It's just the poor guy. I just felt bad for him. Uh, his other eight passes to rank complete were literally like nowhere near his receivers. He just was throwing up prayers, hoping they would be completed. And uh, I mean, poor Kendall Hinton was set up to fail. I just feel bad for the guy. Now, it's also, I got to point out, it's pretty amazing that in spite of the situation, right, in spite of the fact that they, they had nobody who was going to play, I mean, they were like, I, I imagine Saturday night, they're like, well, what kind of makeshift playbook can we put together? Let's run plays we've never even talked about before, have like a walkthrough and did whatever they could. And all things considered, it's pretty amazing that Kendall Hinton didn't have any like fumbled snaps or anything like that. They had a bad snap uh, to Philip Lindsay in the Wildcat formation. That's about it, though. And so here's a, it's a fun line I'm going to say next. It's harsh, but it's also true. If you've ever wondered what it would be like if you threw a high school quarterback into an NFL game, it would likely be very, very similar to watching Kendall Hinton play quarterback on Sunday against New Orleans, where it just, it was hopeless. There was no chance. The guy looked scared for his life running around, throwing the ball, just up in there, hoping people would catch it. Um, and, you know, in fact, it's kind of another crazy story at this whole situation is that Apparently, the Broncos tried to add one of their quality control coaches, a guy named uh, Rob Calabrese, who played Calabrese or Calabrese. I've never heard of the guy. I guess he played quarterback at UCF a long time ago. He's 29 years old. I don't know that he ever actually, like, I think he was on a roster at Central Florida. I don't know if he actually played quarterback. Um, but the reason why the NFL didn't allow him to do it, which would have made sense. You have a coach who is reasonably healthy, who you would think is like, oh, maybe he's in playing. He, he, he knows the, the benefit is he would know the offense very, very well. At the minimum, you wouldn't need to like create a new offense because of Kendall Hinton that had a guy who didn't even know the offense had to like literally just throw something together. Um, the NFL blocked the use of Rob Calabrese because the NFL doesn't want you using your coaching staff as like a way to, um, as a reserve to hold players. Like what if you're like, well, we don't want to have a backup quarterback on a roster, but we'll sign, uh, we'll sign, name any backup quarterback. We'll sign, um, oh my gosh, literally, uh, is it Mitch Trubisky. I, I don't know why that's the first guy I think of. He's a backup quarterback in my mind to say, well, we don't want Mitch Trubisky on a roster because we can use that roster spot for a player who's going to play every week. But what we can do is make Mitchell Trubisky a coach. And then if somebody gets hurt, we can just elevate him from the coaching place to onto the active roster. The NFL said, we don't want that to happen at all. Uh, plus, you also need to have a player for five days uh, between signing them before they can play. Um, it was all strange. I mean, they literally, the Broncos tried to sign a coach to play quarterback for them. It's kind of, it's crazy. It's funny. 
It's just a bizarre situation. Now, for most of the game, uh, Denver ran the Wildcat offense. That's They literally had a direct snap to the running back, ran like zone reads and a lot of just quarterback counter and stuff like that. Uh, you know, they had Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay playing the, quote, Wildcat quarterback position. Uh, they did not throw the ball at all. The only the only person who threw the ball for the Broncos was um, Kendall Hinton. And it reminded me how, honestly, how awful the Wildcat offense is to watch. It's not very, it's very limited. It's easy to defend because you just load the box and then pray that they don't do like a, a fake run, pop pass kind of thing. Uh, Denver didn't do anything like that. There's nothing imagined. I just, it was weird and bad and boring and awful. And Denver's offense was just terrible, not fun to watch. Um, I mean, actually, it's kind of amazing that despite the circumstance, it's crazy Denver even got a field goal. They got three points. Denver only got a field goal because Taysom Hill, the Saints quarterback, threw an interception, gave them really good field position. They went three and out, but they started the drive in field goal range, so they got a field goal, got three points. That's why Denver lost 31-3 to instead of 31-0. to um, Now, let's talk about the Saints and Taysom Hill because... I've seen enough. I've seen enough of Taysom Hill to know that Taysom Hill is not the long-term answer at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. The Saints need a better quarterback to be their long-term franchise quarterback. The answer is not Taysom Hill. He's got an average arm, which if you're flawless with attention to detail, you can get away with having an average arm. Taysom Hill is not flawless. He actually is very, in my opinion, not great with the small attention to detail where he held onto the ball too long. He didn't see people open. He didn't find his checkdowns. He had no idea what was happening with the play clock. Uh, he had two um, delay again penalties. One was really bad. He literally just had no idea that the play clock had turned to zero. They didn't call it till like eight seconds after it hit zero because just nobody. It was just it was bizarre and weird. Um, and so Taysom Hill, I don't want to come down too hard on him. Like people are gonna hear me say he's not the long term answer and think I hate Taysom Hill or he's bad. Or he's not very good. I want to be very very clear here. Taysom Hill is fine. He's fine. He's a backup. He's a very solid backup quarterback. In fact, if he was my backup quarterback, I'd feel very good about that. He clearly works hard. He knows the system very, very well. And even I would even go as far as to say that if, if Drew Brees retired and the Saints needed a year to kind of bridge the gap to get through a year, he could be a good duct tape, bridge the gap quarterback for a year if need be, right? Taysom Hill is not terrible. Nothing like that. He's very, very solid. He's very, very fine. But he's also not good enough to be your long-term franchise quarterback. I'm not building my offense and my franchise around Taysom Hill. No way. And I, you know, I'll wait till his run starting games is over. But at some point, I'll make a video, like a film analysis video, breaking down, showing you examples of mistake and mistake and this and that. I'll do a film analysis of why Taysom Hill is not the long-term answer of quarterback. But point blank, he's not. I mean, just, well, I'll show you later, but he's not. Uh, he's also 30 years old, and I'll be totally honest. I mean, I Taysom Hill is a slightly better version of Tim Tebow. Remember Tim Tebow a couple years ago? Taysom Hill has a slightly better arm. Uh, he's slightly better throwing the ball. He's a slightly better athlete. He, he's certainly quicker and more twitchy. Um, but the scheme, the play calling, the style, Taysom Hill is very, very similar to Tim Tebow. I mean, it, it just he just is. Uh, Taysom Hill had more carries than completions, meaning that Taysom Hill 
ran the ball 10 times, he only had 10 completed passes. That's kind of crazy. Like, he had 10, ca- 10 throws that were caught by a receiver. He also ran the ball 10 times. Sorry, he had nine, nine completed passes. He was 9 for 16 passing with 78 yards passing and an interception. And he ran the ball 10 times for 44 yards and two touchdowns. Again, he had more carries than completions. That's unbelievable. That's, I just, that's, he's not a typical quarterback. He's, he's a better version of Tim Tebow, in my opinion. And, uh, and also, I mean, some of that is because the Saints were up by so much. Uh, some of that was mercy. They're like, we don't need to throw the ball very much because we, we're running the ball dominated with, with a dominating fashion. Latavius Murray had a great game. The Broncos didn't want to be there. I mean, you could, part of that is because I'm not trying to just skew the, the stats to make it sound bad. Part of why Taysom Hill ran the ball so much and didn't throw very much is because the Saints were winning by so much. They didn't need him to do very much, and they didn't ask him to do very much. Now, I will say, to the credit of Taysom Hill, I try to give praise whenever I can. He had a really good throw down the left sideline, a back shoulder throw to Michael Thomas. Uh, good ball. I mean, it's just a, it's a good throw. I think it's the best throw I've seen him make. In his entire NFL career, I went, ah, that's a nice ball. But I've seen enough from Taysom Hill. Um, he's he's solid. He's not bad. He runs the offense very, very well. If Taysom Hill is my backup quarterback, I feel very confident. Like, hey, he can run the offense. He can win a couple games. I, I like. Don't get me wrong. I like Taysom Hill. But I would not build my franchise around him. Taysom Hill is not the long-term answer at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Okay, um... We can take a break. I still don't want to. I still, I think I'm, I'm okay. Uh, we'll just keep going. I don't know if you picked it up. There was a cut that I, you might not have heard or noticed. Um, my, my neighbor's car alarm went off for like 15 minutes. Or I'm, I'm not kidding. It was like, eh, it turned off. And I'm like, okay, it's solved. Problem solved. I literally, I paused. Didn't even stop recording. I was like, whatever. Then it started going again. And I'm like, you're, you're, how is your car alarm going off again? And that same cycle happened, I'm not kidding, nine or ten times where I'm like, it's over. I'm like, okay, I can, I, I sat down and started recording again, like, nine times. Because I was like, oh, it's over. And then it happened again. I'm like, I still, to this day, I don't, to this very moment, I don't trust that this car alarm's not going to start again, but it appears to be over. But it, I hate that kind of, it drives me nuts. I, I tried to hide the cut. I hope you didn't hear it. Um, but that gave my voice a break. I was just fuming angrily, so my voice got a, a chance to rest and uh, to take a break, so whatever. Um, on Sunday night football, the Packers beat the Bears 41-25. to Oh, man. Uh, first of all, Aaron Rodgers, credit to him. Uh, I, the, the, I made that video a while back saying, like, Aaron Rodgers is no longer elite. I, I look stupider and stupider every time... Uh, Aaron Rodgers plays because he he was flawless. I mean, he really, I think he played about as good as you possibly can in that game where he was, uh, I think, 21 for 29 passing at a bunch of yards. He had four touchdown passes. He actually broke the, he eclipsed 50,000 passing yards in this game. He had a long touchdown pass to Robert Tanyan. Um, and so Aaron Rodgers was amazing. The Packers dominated very easily. Here's the story from the Packers-Bears game, though. Once again, the story about the Bears is stupid, stinking, ah, Mitchell Trubisky. I I don't have a personal vendetta against Mitchell Trubisky. I just hate watching the guy play football. I hate it so much. I've probably watched Mitchell Trubisky play football more than any human being ever should. And he's played more than he ever should have. Like, he's played more football 
than he deserves to have played, in my opinion. It just it's infuri infuriating. Uh, the reason why Trubisky was playing is because Nick Foles got hurt. Again, Nick Foles isn't the answer in Chicago. Uh, Trubisky isn't the answer. Matt Nagy needs to be fired. They got to just clear house in Chicago. I've said that before. I'll say it again. Uh, I said that like la um, a couple shows ago. And uh, oh my goodness, it was it was terrible. I, Mitchell Trubisky, um, please, it's time to bury any hope of Mitchell Trubisky ever being good. I gave up years ago, like two years ago, I said, Trubisky's not going to work, right? But people keep sending me messages like, oh, this is the year. This time, you know, Money Mitch is going to be good this time. And people keep giving him chance after chance after chance. No, 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 no. It's over. Please stop giving this guy chances. I cannot believe how many opportunities Mitchell Trubisky's gotten. Again, I've watched this guy play more football than I've ever seen in my life. And, and Trubisky's never made sense to me. He should have never been drafted number two overall. He's very limited. He's, he's, he's a, here. I just, he's not very good. He had two interceptions. He had a fumble against the Packers. Uh, he had two touchdowns in garbage time. Congratulations. He did have, he had one really good drive before halftime. I thought it was the best drive Chicago had all day where Trubisky was throwing the ball in quick game, getting the ball out of his hands very quickly. He had a bunch of uh, checkdowns, but that's not sustainable. You can't only run quick game and checkdowns and be successful long-term in the NFL. Trubisky's a backup. I mean, that's, that's what he is. He's a very, I don't think he's even a good backup. He's just, he's a bad quarterback. I don't, I, I'm so tired of this. And uh, the Packers took his fumble to the house for a touchdown. Both of his interceptions were really bad. He had one into double coverage and then one into triple coverage. Where I'm, I'm screaming at my TV going, why are you throwing the ball there? Allen Robinson was wide open on a deep dig over the middle. Just wide open. And I'm like, what are you doing? Trubisky, what are you? I don't understand. I, I, oh, I'm trying to calm down. I, I think it's because I, I hate bad football and I hate bad quarterback play. And it's been so obvious for so many years. Trubisky's awful. And yet he still gets put out there. I, I don't mean this in a mean facetious way. I never want to watch Mitchell Trubisky play quarterback ever again. I don't want to see it. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve another opportunity. I'm not just yell. Like, I'm not doing my Stephen A. Smith thing where I yell, and I've never been that guy. I've never been the guy who yells and rants, but I'm, I'm furious that this guy is still getting opportunities in the NFL. It's terrible. It's like there's not anybody better in the entire league. You're still playing Mitchell Trubisky? What in the world are you doing? I Here's what I'm trying to call him that. It really, it's one of those moments I'm just losing it. Um... I think here's what really infuriates me the most is that Chicago, for a very brief time, had the most dominating defense in the entire NFL. They were phenomenal. Their defense was terrifying. And that really good roster with a great defense got wasted because Mitchell Trubisky was their quarterback. I just, it, it's a, a massive missed opportunity for an organization that had an opportunity very briefly. Uh, they had a Super Bowl window, in my opinion, where if they got the right quarterback with that defense, they win a Super Bowl. And the Bears couldn't capitalize because they stayed committed to this stupid, terrible... Stupid's a bit personal. I don't mean... I'm not trying to be personal with Mitchell Trubisky, but he's a bad quarterback. He should never play football again in the NFL. I just cannot believe. I... Maybe that's dramatic. I... No, it's not. It's not. The the two worst quarterbacks I've ever watched get... Play, you know, be starters in the NFL, in my opinion, are and like long-term starters. Blake Bortles and Mitchell Trubisky. They were infuriatingly bad. Trubisky's still infuriatingly bad. 
Uh, and, and Mitchell Trubisky, if you're out there, hey, I'd love to talk to you. I have so many questions. I You probably hate me because of what I'm saying. Uh, but I, I, I just, I, I cannot believe that Mitchell Trubisky is still a thing in the NFL. I, it's, I don't know much more to say. I'm just complaining. I, I just, it, it infuriates me. Um, I will say this. Arm talent matters, right? The farther, so I used to play quarterback in college, and the farther I've gotten from my playing days, the more my philosophy and my my viewpoint on football has changed, where the more I, I've really come to value arm strength and arm talent so much more than I used to. I, when I played quarterback in college, I had a weaker, I had like a little noodle arm. I was like Gardner Minshew at best, right? I just could not drive the ball downfield the way I wish I could have. I had kind of, I had flawed mechanics where the ball was, it came out way too high over my head. And I should have, I mean, I actually, it's funny if you watch me throw a football now, my mechanics are very different where I'm way more at 90 degrees and I, I'd probably drive the ball better. But I never, even then, even with great mechanics, I never would have had a strong arm. I'm a small, like I'm 5'11", weak. I just not, I'm not a very big dude and I didn't drive the ball very well. And uh, so I think because of my weak arm strength, I was like emotionally attached to that. And I had this this kind of barrier to me where I used to defend and try to find ways for quarterbacks with weaker arms, I had sympathy for them. And I would always find a way for a, you know, to support a young, a weaker armed quarterback. And you can, in my opinion, still to this day, if you don't have the strongest arm in the world, you can still succeed in football. Like don't give up because if you're really, really great, have great attention to detail, you can succeed in, in football as a quarterback. If you have great attention to detail, you can make it with a weaker arm, but it's way harder. And if I'm a coach, I want to work with a guy like Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, like watching guys like that and then being removed from football, no longer playing anymore. It's just shown me like I just have changed my perspective. Natural talent matters. Having a guy who Kyler Murray is really fast and has a strong arm. Like I want to work with a quarterback who is really naturally gifted. I just, it's true. I, I, you have more advantages. You can teach, if you can teach a guy to be a great quarterback, who's not a good athlete and has a weak arm, or you can teach the same skill sets to a quarterback who's really naturally talented. The ceiling's way higher. It's more fun. It's more attractive as a coach. And I think I look at the world a lot more like a coach than a player now. Um, and so I, I just, I've come to value arm talent and arm strength. And I think that physical tools do matter, especially at the quarterback position. And Mitchell Trubisky never had the physical tools to be a high-level quarterback. He also stood a weak little arm. He just didn't throw the ball very well. But he also never had the necessary attention to detail. He had nothing. The, the, Trubisky brought nothing good to the table. It's like, well, what are we doing here? Why are we still just... The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again with the same result. And you just keep doing it. And that's what the Bears are doing at Trubisky. Like, why are we still here still giving Trubisky more and more chances. It's futile. It's ridiculous. Um, and so Mitchell Trubisky failed as a quarterback in the NFL, categorically failed. And I'll be, I'm, I'm not available for another chance. I'm not available for more conversations and more games. Uh, I moved on years ago, but I'm at the point where I'm drawing a boundary with other people. Do not send me messages. Do not tell me you still believe in Mitch. I don't care. Either get on board with me and move on as well, or just don't talk to me. I, I just cannot. It's over. It failed. It failed years ago, and we just people just keep holding on to this dead carcass of a quarterback career. That's not going to work. And I, I just am so 
I'm over it. I'm tired of Trubisky. I'm probably, I, I hope personally, I never need to make a Mitchell Trubisky segment ever again. Uh, my, I hope my tone wasn't too harsh. I bet it, I'm sure it was. I'm sure a lot of people are mad at me, but hey, I, I, it's how I genuinely feel. I've never been more infuriated than I was uh, three in the morning last night, watching Sunday night football, trying to come up with something to say about Trubisky. I just, I hate it. It's over. It's terrible. It failed. And uh, I got nothing left uh, to add to the conversation. I'm, I'm hopefully forever done talking about Mitchell Trubisky. Oh my gosh. I didn't expect the anger to come out. I, I, I guess I'm really angry about Trubisky. It really, it's, it's insanity that he's still getting opportunities in the NFL. I just, I stand by that. It drives me nuts. Let's talk about F1. On Sunday, we had the Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, Bahrain is spelled B-A-H uh, and then Rain, R-A-I-N-E. Uh, Bahrain is a tiny island nation off the coast of Saudi Arabia in the Persian Gulf. Kind of interesting to research it. I did. Every time there was an F1 race, I kind of researched the area. And Bahrain was one of the more interesting areas I've researched due to Formula One and the geographic location. Uh, Lewis Hamilton won the race. Uh, Max Verstappen got second. Alex Albon got third. So it was Ferrari, Red Bull, Red Bull. Now, I want to talk about Max Verstappen down the road in a minute. I want to talk about Sergio Perez. Uh, but I think it's obvious what I have to talk about, number one, and first and foremost, is that the obvious dominating story is Roman Grosjean's crash. The the really, frankly, horrific uh, crash. I mean, he went through the barrier. His car snapped in half. I've never seen that happen before. Uh, and I've watched compilations of F1 crashes because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, his car was a ball of fire, just like tall, leaping flames up in the air. And it's just, it's a terrifying image to see a car just on fire with a driver inside trying, struggling to get out of the burning car. It's like, oh my gosh. And so if you haven't seen it, if you're not, even if you're not a Formula One fan, go look up the Bahrain Romain Grosjean crash. It's truly horrifying. It's unbelievable. Uh, I don't dare put a video of it on YouTube because I don't want to get removed or copyright struck or whatever, uh, but go look it up. It's, it's worth it uh, to see it. it just, you should see it. It's, it's horrifying and shocking. Um, I mean, the front half of the car that Roman Grosjean got out of that went through the barrier because our car snapped in half. He's sitting in the front half of the car. It's engulfed in flames that are just high leaping flames. And when he got out of the car, all that was left was this like charred piece of metal. It's like, oh my God. And he got out okay. He had slightly burned hands, um, but it's Roman Grosjean's alive. He put a video on Instagram. He's, he's, he's okay. And that's unbelievable. I mean, it was kind of sobering because F1 cars don't didn't have halos until 2018. Halos are the thing around the ring around the head. It kind of makes a, a pseudo windshield almost, but there's no there's no screen. It's just a, a protection for the head. Um, and uh, look up the halo. It's it's a metal bar around a driver's head. Just look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, and on one hand, the result of this crash is a testament to the safety of Formula One, where they've come a long way. I mean, years ago, a crash like that. Roman Grosjean would have died. Roman Grosjean would have been, uh, this, this would have been a very different video and a very different topic if uh, this this had happened 20 years ago. Roman Grosjean would have been dead. It's, it's just, it's awful. It's terrifying. It's true. But even in spite of the fact that he didn't die, he did almost die. And there was a moment where, I mean, the halo protected his head from the barrier. So he went through the barrier. He's jackknifed through it. The halo protected his head so he didn't go unconscious. He was alive, able to get out. Um, but... He had to get out of the car very quickly. There was a, a brief moment where 
he was in a race for his life to get out of the burning car. And, I mean, safety measures and all, there was still a race for his life. His life was in danger. I mean, you're, you're always in danger when you drive an F1 car. But there was a moment he's in this burning car, seatbelt, I mean, his, his boot came off, trying to get out of this burning car up and out over the... It's just, it's terrifying. And if he's unconscious or if he's a little bit slower getting out of that car, he dies. He would have died. And that's not an exaggeration. It's just terrifying. And so this, again, the sobering, horrifying moment, this, this, this moment in F1, it caused a debate with people saying, did TV show too much? Did TV go too far by repeatedly showing the crash and the fireball over and over and over again? And remember, there was like an hour-long delay. The crash happened. They red flagged the event. Everyone's off the track. Uh, and they had, to, they had to do the work of replacing the barrier. It took about an hour. And uh, they kept showing the replay over and over again. The ball of fire, him getting out of the car, that slow-motion horrific image of smoke and him jumping out, getting sprayed down with um, a fire extinguisher. And um, I think also a weird factoid I think people don't realize, you wear four layers of fireproof protective gear if you're an F1 driver. It's incredibly hot. One of the things that my girlfriend was watching with me, realizing like, oh, driving an F1 car is a really brutally hot experience. Like your body temperature is insane. And people don't realize about that. Like even in a hot day when it's 90 degrees outside, you're driving an F1 car. The temperature is like 30 degrees hotter in the car when you're driving. It's terrifying, especially on the track. And um, I guess here's the thing about the replay. Should they have showed the replay? Was it insensitive? Did it cross the line? Um, if Roman Grosjean had died, then yes, absolutely. It would have been insensitive. You shouldn't show that. But in this case, because he lived... It's okay to show it to some degree. Um, and then also, I think it's important to show the replay. I think there's actually some, a deep importance where you have to remind people how dangerous F1 is. I think F1 actually almost has a responsibility to remind people that it's a dangerous sport. And I understand why F1 drivers, people like Sebastian Vettel and Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, they don't like seeing that. It's horrifying. And if I was an F1 driver, I'm like, I don't want to watch that crash. I, I don't need to see it again. I don't want to see that because... That could have been them, and it's it's unsettling to see that. Like, that could have been me in that burning hulk of metal. I mean, I understand why an F1 driver goes, I don't want to watch that, and you shouldn't have shown that. But the FIA and Formula One, I also think, have a responsibility where it's important to be honest and transparent about how dangerous it is. I mean, driving a car incredibly fast, whether it's—they it's, they kind of set the example for the world of what it's like to drive a car, and uh, it's dangerous. Not everybody can do it. And uh, uh, not only that, it's not only is it dangerous, there's also a lot of physical difficulties of driving. Like, try to push down the brake pedal on an F1 car. It's unbelievable how hard it is. Um, And so I I guess I'm glad Roman Grosjean is okay. Thank goodness. Um, But I also think, again, F1 has a responsibility to be transparent and honest about the dangers of F1. And part of that is showing the replay. It's burned into my mind forever, that image of Roman Grosjean getting out. I will never, I never did. But I never would anyway, especially because of this moment, take for granted what an F1 driver does. The risk they take and the danger and the difficulty of what they do. And so that replay does definitely get that point across. Now, I want to shift gears to maybe, I don't know if more lighthearted, but we'll talk about other parts of the race now. Uh, First of all, I felt really terrible for Sergio Perez. Uh, He had three laps to go. He was in third place, a podium position. And then suddenly Sergio Perez's racing point just caught on fire. 
I, I mean, smoke coming out. Like, his car was on fire behind him. It's, it's terrible. And I felt so bad for the guy. It, just awful luck for him, for Sergio Perez, for Racing Point. And uh, it cost him a podium. It, it's terrible. I feel so bad for him. I also felt sad for the Racing Point team principal, uh, Otmar Safnauer. Uh, just watching him, like, head down in his arms. Looked like, I don't know if he was crying, but he definitely just looked depressed and sad. Um, a hand down in his hands, just head down. I, I, I hope that Otmar's job is secure. I really like him, and I'd, I want to see him continue to make progress with what he's done at Racing Point. Like, Racing Point has made a lot of progress. I want to see that continue with them. But I, I think, and I personally hope that Otmar Sapnauer is a part of the progress moving forward. Now, it was a wild race. I want to keep beating this drum though that. Um, it's insane that Sergio Perez does not have a drive next year in Formula One. If he's not in F1 next year, it's criminal. It's ridiculous and stupid that other guys like Antonio Giovinazzi and uh, Nicholas Atifi have a drive when Sergio Perez does not. I mean, he's one of the top five or six drivers in F1, and nobody wants him. Nobody wants to compete and get better. It's crazy to me. And it's just a reminder of how much of F1 is politics and money and ridiculous nonsense. It's just sad that one of the best drivers in the sport may not drive next year because of other outside power and nonsense. It's just sad and stupid. Um, now, I want to talk about Max Verstappen because he got second at Bahrain. And he really, really wants to finish second in the Formula 1 driver's standings and the driver's championship because... It'd be a big win for him. Think about it this way, where if he finished ahead of a superior Mercedes car in an inferior Red Bull car, I'd say a lot about Max and his talent as a driver, where I'm sure he'd feel good about that victory, saying, you know what, I did what I could, and I beat the people in front of me. So I, I think that if Max Verstappen gets second in F1 this year, it'd be a huge testament to him and his talent as a driver. And I hope he does. I'm I like Max. I'm rooting for him. I want to see that happen. Now, I also got to say, I was disappointed by Sebastian Vettel in this race. Um, he didn't do much of anything. He finished 13th. Uh, and after finishing third in Turkey, I was like, man, maybe Sebastian Vettel's figuring things out in that Ferrari. And I thought he was finally making progress. Apparently, he wasn't. I, I just feel sad about that. It was more a moment of Sebastian Vettel being an opportunist in Turkey than it was him figuring out his car and driving a better race. I just It's kind of disappointing and sad to me. Uh, now, the final thing I want to say is that F1 has really won over my girlfriend. Uh, you know, she's watched the last three races in a row now with me, sitting next to me on the couch, and, and get, been engaged and interested. And I cover sports for a living. It's my job. I, I watch sports all the time. I cannot get her to watch football with me. My favorite sport, football. Can't get her to watch it. Doesn't care. Doesn't want to watch it. It's Doesn't understand it. She likes F1, though. My girlfriend, F1 is one over my girlfriend. She likes it. It's interesting to her. It's easier to understand. And I think it says a lot about Formula One where it's just this impressive spectacle. And if you haven't ever watched Formula One, it's very easy to get into because it's just, it's guys trying to beat each other on a track. It's interesting. It's fun. If you watch Netflix's Drive to Survive series, you really get a full understanding of F1. And uh, I just, I cannot recommend Formula One enough to people. It's just really full of great, dramatic moments the music is great it's just fun it's exciting um and also the commentation the commentary is really good i mean it's if you watch an nfl game 
there's 16 a week. There's only so many good broadcasters to go around. If you have uh, 13 games happening all on the same day, you can't get all the best broadcasters to every single game. F1 has one broadcast team, and they're phenomenal. They're really good. There's no there's no lull in really good coverage. And so I, I walk away. Uh, I'm very impressed and satisfied and happy with Formula 1. It's a great product. People should watch it. And uh, I had a great time. I don't know if great's the right word there. I, I had an entertaining, interesting time watching the Bahrain Grand Prix. And uh, I'm glad that, I'm glad Romain Grosjean is alive and okay. And uh, it, it, I'm very, very happy he made it. Because that, that crash, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's horrifying. And I'm glad that Romain Grosjean is alive and doing well today. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, I really appreciate it. I uh, Shorter episode. I wanted to get it out quicker today. Uh, we'll talk tomorrow about the Buccaneers and Chiefs. We'll talk about Monday Night Football. Um, and we'll do Ask Zach. I, I had Ask Zach planned for today, but it's 4.23 p.m. I wanted to get this out before the month ends and before Monday Night Football happens. So I love you. We'll do Ask Zach tomorrow and hopefully the rest of the week, every single episode we do. I'm trying really hard to make shorter episodes that come out quicker, uh, but still have quality. Just, it's fewer topics that are quality rather than having 11 quality topics. It's four today. I hope it's. I hope you like it. I love you. I appreciate you. Pa-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.